All right, here we are. Nexus Conference is in the rearview mirror. Yes. Biblos is up and running, and these two dynamics are collaborating along with several other ministry dynamics, and we've got a lot of people wanting to know about them. So um, Nexus was really good, and you guys played a humongous role in Nexus. And it was like, you know, there's such a need in our world right now for a clear voice Mm -hmm. that articulates an apostolic worldview in a language this generation understands because the apostolic message is the most powerful message in the world. It is the message. Yeah. Yeah. And so we tried to bring in world-class leaders, world-class content, and we plan on continuing to do that. So, yeah, I'm excited about Nexus. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was one of those God moment things that I think everything fell into place at the right moment at the right time. And uh, it hit a soft spot in the younger generation's minds and uh, created hunger. Just by the questions, the amount of questions we got in that hour. Yeah. How many questions did we get? You know, we, I, I'd venture to say we got 40, 50 <coughs> questions um, within a very short amount of time. Just in a couple moments. Yeah. Um, one comment we heard a lot was that it was a very unique conference and that no one knew of a conference that was intended um, directly at accomplishing the same purpose. Okay. Well, there's no doubt there's a need for it. It was amazing services. Mm-hmm. The content was great. I, I, I must say that it was a curveball when my brother came down with COVID-19. Wow, wow. Yeah. that was a huge curveball. I'm going to tell you, when I got the, the news on Thursday that he wasn't able to come, first of all, I was concerned for my brother's health right. and well-being. And then the second thought was, oh, man. Here we go. Yeah. And somebody said, yeah. well, why don't you just preach it? And I was like, man, first of all, I, I don't want to do that. And, <laughs> and let's find somebody, please. Right, right. God help us. Yeah. And so um, fortunately, Matt Tuttle was on my contact list. I called him up, and he was very gracious. I think it was 24 hours later he was sitting Wow. Here in Durham. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. He had to move to do it. He did a great job. Wow. He did a great job. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was pretty incredible. So Nexus and Biblos, there, there's converging um, concepts here because we want to tackle relevant issues today. Mm-hmm. Issues that apostolics are facing. They're, they're, they're encountering them. They don't have answers. <clears throat> and the world's changing so fast that the the previous generations, you know, they didn't encounter this stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Now the content though that the elders had is very relevant. Right. Because God's principles are timeless. Mm-hmm. But man, when you have social issues and theological issues, moral issues, who who who's grappled with gender identity right. before? Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's actually interesting because I think a big part of this is taking timeless truths and making them very relative today. God certainly grappled with gender identity. He did it all the way back in Deuteronomy when he told us that men 
needed to dress like men and women needed to dress like women. Right. God was very serious about it right. in yeah. the ancient world. I would even make the case that God foresaw that coming today. Mm. We know he did. Yeah. 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 So let's, you know, we need to tackle those things. Right. Why, why do apostolic women wear dresses? Why do apostolic men wear pants? Why do apostolic women have uncut hair? Why do apostolic men have cut hair? Mm-hmm. People want to know the why of that kind of stuff. Both of them have to do with gender identity and uh, in the case of hair, with headship and authority. Mm-hmm. So Deuteronomy 22, 1 Corinthians 11. This generation needs to know that. The generation before us, the few generations before us, they knew it, they preached it. But there's a world out there that just sees people dress different and look different, and they go, what is the deal with that? Right. Are they Amish? Are they Mennonite? Are they mm-hmm. Jewish? <laughs> Yeah. So. I think you're certainly equipping young people for a very unique set of circumstances. And I think it, I think the climate that we're facing today demands um, someone that can step up and, and, and show young people how to approach ministry in the 21st century, um, which seems to be a lot of the the reasoning behind the conference is is a is training and equipping and 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 truly helping young people become mm-hmm. um and i think we saw that at the nexus conference i think we saw young people that were zealous and they had questions and and they were they were approaching a new age of ministry um full of questions and looking for answers on how to approach this these times you know i i see what's going on in society and and what we're doing here as slowing down the merry-go-round um you guys remember when you were kids you'd get on a merry-go-round and you were thinking lucidly at least in the moment when you got on of fun and just but as that thing began to spin and you got off you were disoriented yeah I think one of the greatest tricks or approaches by the devil nowadays is not necessarily to to kill a person or end their life as much as it is to disorient them within the structure of the society that we live in. And I think what we're seeing um, by so much interest in Nexus and Biblos is that that element by society that says uh, of a generation that says, "Want to uh, a merry-go-round? Can you help us stop this and find clarity?" Wow! Because we don't want to disconnect from what we believe, but we want to be able to take those timeless truths and apply them into a society that's spinning out of control, so that we can help others stop the merry-go-round. Um, yeah, I don't even think society knows where it's at right now. I don't think it's done creating more alphabets. <laughs> well, when you get into a hundred different genders and you get into moral relativism <laughs> and there's no such thing as absolute truth, which is a logical fallacy because that is an absolute truth. <laughs> so there are absolute truths. Science yeah. is based on them and... Physics is based on them. It's not that we don't know. We know. It's not that we don't 
it's not that we know everything, it's that there are laws that we do know and we build on what we do know and we don't forsake it. And, you know, they call them the soft sciences, the, the sociologies, the people want to say faith and biblical theology, but it's not, it's not relative. It's not just up for grabs. Mm -mm. And, and, you know, there's a big problem there too, because orthodoxy has been off so off. Yeah. There's such a, a, beholdenness to Catholicism mm -hmm. that has injected so much um, stuff that's not in the Bible mm -hmm. that people are still coming out of that and learning about that. One of the things I love is when we're talking about helping people become, what do we mean? Helping people become. That idea is fundamental. The United States is here because of that. Mm -hmm. People have been doing this for a long time. The Christian message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, actually helps pull people out of darkness, right. barbarism, um, and, a, and a host of wicked, wicked things right. that hold people in depravity and superstition and ignorance. And so from the Native American days here in the United States, the, the days of tribalism in Europe, the... In Israel's day, from the, the slavery in Exodus, God pulled people that were living subhuman lives, or that might be a strong word, just beneath what God had ordained they, they live under. Right. Yeah. And raised them. The Jews understood concepts like quarantining mm -hmm. in Leviticus. Some apostolics can't figure that out <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but because they did that, they lived longer. They were healthier. They outnumbered the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. The simple act of circumcision cuts down on disease to such an extent that the Hebrew children live longer. Right. They were there were less stillbirths um, and miscarriages and and diseases, and so Israel always outcompeted the people that they they lived in because of God's word. Right. It always has helped people to become. Well, now we're living in a world here in the United States, the way that looks on a practical level is you've got to go out and you've got, you know, in Israel to become a Jew, by far the way that that happened was by birth mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. Right. The church is different in that we too are... If you're born into the church, you were born with great advantage and privilege and blessing, mm -hmm. assuming you realize it and are willing to continue in it, Actual which is a problem lesson. in and of itself. Right. But then we also have a new birth, which means that you can go out and find somebody that has no Jewish heritage, and they can be grafted into the Abrahamic promise, right? which is the ultimate in becoming. And then you take them from a very inferior way of looking at the world, a world that is filled with lust, mm -hmm. emotion-driven, ignorance, um, a host of societal problems, and God's word slowly <clears throat> begins to make them better people. Yeah. When you start living according to God's design and the word of God, his 10 commandments, and the other commandments from the New Testament perspective, you get the Abrahamic lift. 
or what uh, some would call redemptive lift. Redemptive. So you just start elevating. So you you stop being promiscuous. Okay, you come out of the world. You're you're no longer going to live in promiscuity. You're not going to be bound by pornography. You're going to cleanse your heart, cleanse your mind. You're going to be faithful to one person. That right there changes an entire family. Yeah, everything changes. Right. You become a son or daughter of the Most High God through the born again experience, and you just begin to become. From there, it turns into. Morally walking according to his word, mm -hmm. taking heed according to his word. Then if you are doing this properly, then you learn how to take financial dominion in your life. Yeah. Boy, Caleb Adams preached a message that people call the fish, the fowl, and the cow. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it on a podcast. If you if you go back and reference one of the Biblos podcasts, we talked about it, that if you'll get dominion over the subterranean influences, that's the fish. That's the stuff swimming around in your head yeah, and in your heart, Absolutely. your thoughts, yeah. your emotions, your passions. If you'll get dominion there, then you'll get dominion over the spiritual forces of your life. That's the fowl. Mm -hmm. That's the birds flying and <laughs> darting this way and that, the, the angelic realm, the demonic realm. Then God will give you dominion over the cow. That's the terrestrial realm. That's the world that you're living in. What a concept. Yeah. Uh, how many people have been undermined because they couldn't control their thoughts and they couldn't get past it? Yeah, they were living by passion. I knew a guy one time who, on Friday night, he said, "Pastor, I need your help. I can't stop going out. How do you stop going out on Friday night and doing bad things?" I said, "Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Lock your door. Yeah. Chain yourself to the bed. Were you a werewolf?" Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> Full moon comes out and right, right. you're howling at the moon and you got to go out and do crazy stuff. <laughs> well, you're talking about helping people become. Um, one thing that makes Nexus interesting is we're helping people become with the intention that they're going to go and help people become. Um, you touched for a minute on um, orthodoxy and the way that in time and cross-culture that um, things can get added to theologies that were never in the Bible to begin with. And um, one question I think we're seeing a lot is along the lines of um, what does a biblical evangelist look like? And what does, what does ministry look like on a practical level? Um, people are saying things like, I don't have a pulpit, I'm not looking to take um I'm I'm not looking to to canvas for some opportunity. I just want to get out and I want to reach people. Um and and I think that comes down to equipping people so that they can help others become. Yeah. I there's no doubt. A biblical model of evangelism. So that is one topic. It's a big, big topic. And if you're going to talk about inserting things into Christianity that are not biblical, we could start with infant baptisms. Yeah. Yeah. We could go to the Trinity. We could go to holy wars. Purgatory. Purgatory. Prayers to saints. You could, you know. Popes. 
I, I was telling somebody the other day about um, Charlie Mahaney uh-huh. that he went on a trip to the Vatican and they were talking about the popes. Well, apostolics, we don't believe in popes. Right. It's not in the Bible. Pope means father. And um, the scripture says, call no man your father. Uh, there's one father. That's God. Mm-hmm. And and the priest was giving a lecture on the popes. And finally, Mahaney had had all he could, all he could stand. He said, no, we don't believe in the pope. And he's in the Vatican. <laughs> of all the places to make a declaration. So, <clears throat> so the... The priest said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, the Pope, the Pope. That's that's the Vicar of Christ. That's that's the, the ruling anointed one on earth, uh, who reigns in God's stead." And and he said, "Oh no." He said, and Mahaney said, "Wasn't Peter the first Pope?" And the priest said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, he had a wife." He said, "We know he had a wife because he had a mother-in-law, and mm-hmm. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus healed the mother-in-law." And yeah. he said. I'm gonna tell you what, man. If you got a mother-in-law and you didn't have a wife, you got ripped off, Jack. He's <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, man. That's a bad deal. Nick Mahaney <laughs> said last night on a live stream, as he was preaching, that he he walked by a gym and pulled a hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well. There's a lot of insertions into the Bible. Every one of them is worthy of a podcast, and we should probably talk about them. Mm-hmm. We need to make, make a note to yeah. talk about those. But if we're going to talk about evangelism, there was something inserted in the late 1800s, probably by Billy Sunday and and then later propagated through other means of this itinerant preacher model where a guy goes to a church, gets up, mm-hmm. rallies everybody, Praise for sinners. You know, a lot of people think the sinner's prayer yeah. is biblical. It's not. It's, it's nowhere in the Bible. Yeah. Right. And I think Billy Sunday is the one who started that, wasn't he? Not 100% sure on that, but probably. It was one of those guys. The Roman road they area. just. Yeah. Yeah. They come up with these ideas that do the Roman road. Right. Yeah. You know, sinner's prayer. None of it's in the Bible. Right. But the idea that you go church to church to preach and then you leave. Is not is not in the Bible, no. so a lot of evangelists struggle. They 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 don't have places to preach, and the more um, diversified our world becomes, the more disconnected it becomes. The harder that gets. Yes. A lot of churches now no longer have a Sunday night service. Many churches no longer have a midweek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just Sunday morning, which they're becoming very denominal mm. in the way they approach that. Right. So. Instead of going church to church, what that produced was these polished speakers that if your name was big enough, you could you could do that. But if you if it wasn't, then many times you had to work a second job or sometimes a second and third job right. while you tried to preach wherever you were asked to preach. And the reason why it doesn't work is because that's not a biblical model. Right. I'm not saying that it doesn't have its place. Sure. But it would be a preacher. Many times I knew men who really operated as prophets. Mm. Or even apostles, they would go. They were experienced older men who had planted churches. When they came, it was invaluable what they did for a church. Right. But if we're talking about an evangelist, instead of just going and preaching somewhere, why not? I'll just tell I'll just tell evangelists this: If you want to succeed on the evangelistic field, 
don't just go out and bring your big candy stick message and, and hope that the pastor likes what you preach so they have you back. What you do is if you pull a fifth wheel, if you're, if you're traveling, if you pull up and you park in a church parking lot, get out and teach home Bible studies. Yes. We use the 60-second Bible survey. We go out into areas. There's very specific demographics that you can go to. If you're watching this and you want to know, it is lower middle and upper I'm sorry, lower, middle, upper, lower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. Ec- socioeconomic areas. So a place that's lower middle class and upper lower class. I, I never had much success with the very, 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 very down and out. Many times they're devil possessed. They're, they, they have mental issues. And, and the, the, the rich folks in the upper middle, they, they call the cops on you. Yeah. yeah. And they don't want you on their pretty lawns. And so Jesus, when he started his ministry, he went to Nazareth. The question was asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Um, in that, we see that, you know, this is the area where there were demoniacs. This is where the Mary Magdalene's were. This is where the troubled people that, that needed God. You need to go to a place where people know, Jesus said, the whole have no need of a physician. Right. God didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call the sinners to repentance. So he went to fraction, <clears throat> fractional people, people who if I can use this word, half a man, mm. half a woman. They weren't whole. Right. Yeah. You're going to go to a place that they're not going to call the cops. You might have to call the cops on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I took that very literally one time. Um, I, I came to, to visit you when you were in South Haven. And Caitlin and I decided that we would go downtown um, Memphis and oh Memphis. I just get the get the Memphis experience of knocking on a door. Yeah. And I walked up to a door and I I knocked on it and as I'm knocking a car screeches behind me. And I turn around and it's all blacked out windows and both doors fly open and police officers in bulletproof vests come running out yelling get on the ground. And I, I'm on the porch of the house that they're running toward. <laughs> and what it was is they were chasing a guy that was that was running alongside the house and was attempting to hide behind the house. Oh my. Did you get on the ground? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't get yep. on the ground. But I learned what you meant when you said uh when you said uh middle lower and or, or rather upper lower and Lower middle. Lower middle. Yeah. Huh. Oh, yeah. I always found, you know, the Bible tells us that pure religion and undefiled is, is uh, visiting the widow and the fatherless in their affliction. So I found out that people that were just trying to hold it together, a lot of times they were trying to go to college, they take a class here or there. Many times they were single family homes. They needed help. They're open to the gospel. They're open to learning about God. They're not so inundated with material stuff that they think they have everything together. And they're not so low down that they're trying to rob you. Um, But it's, it's, it's Nazareth. It's Galilee. I want people to get that right there, that it's, it's actually a a biblical, a biblically based idea and, and not just trying to go to some economic level and and take advantage of people no and then see there's an idea out there that says you know if you will go out and get people that nobody wants that you'll 
you'll attract people that everybody wants. And, you know, I can go with that to a degree, but if you're not careful, you can just take a bunch of pictures with homeless people yeah, and just try to drum up interest. And 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 if you take that to its further extreme, you, it can become exploitation. Yeah, I think you're touching on something in terms of dealing with that social uh, economic class that people that are of upper class don't have, and that's hope because they've achieved certain levels of a status. And it's not to say they don't need the gospel, but hope seems to be that that trigger that brings someone who's struggling yeah. like a day to day. And gets into that rhythm of life, you know. But in, in terms of the becoming aspect of, of the gospel, and you know, the world tried to tap into it. Abraham Maslow was the master of this the hierarchy of needs. The hierarchy of needs, and it hit, the ultimate was a self actualization. The army grabbed this about in the late eighties, I think. It, they said, "Be all you can be," and they tried to pull for a generation that was looking for hope something that would give them direction. And what ended up happening is it creates a society that creates a society that begins to eat itself because there's no exit out of that cycle. And the only thing that brings that exit is the gospel. So going to that 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 level of individual or where they live or wherever they're trapped, the beauty of what's happening there is you're providing something, uh, an exit ramp off of that yeah. cycle that they're dangerous. And this is where people get confused with thinking that education is that uh, that exit ramp um, or, or certain achievements in life. The reality is hope deferred. If you lose hope in whatever aspect of your Christian walk, our hope is not in this world. Uh, ultimately, our hope is in, in the uh, making it to heaven or the attainment of heaven. Uh, and you find with people that struggle with living with for God is they've somehow replaced that hope and bringing them in, finding them in that situation and giving them hope or showing them hope and then being able to keep that focus on, okay, you found the the keys to get out of here. Mm -hmm. We still need to get the car and we need to get there. Yeah, uh, That's key in terms of the evangelistic model. Uh, the biblical evangelistic model, because what did the guy do? Philip tells the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian goes away rejoicing. He doesn't go back to Samaria or where Philip came from. He goes towards home. Yeah. Because what he had, he had to take it somewhere. It mm. had to go. It had to produce itself. So true hope in a biblical model produces something. Whereas if you, um, it, it provides an outward or external look, whereas hope from this world, an achievement in this world, a certain social status, requires more selfishness. I heard a guy say it's easy to make a million dollars. It's it's hard to keep it. Yeah. Because then you have to focus on that. Um and so the biblical model of evangelism is is going to a group of people with the message that offers hope. Yeah. And it all circles around that. You know, I think people that are that make statements like um if you reach people that nobody wants, God'll send you every uh, send you people that everybody wants. I think what they're what they're seeing is maybe they're meaning if you reach people that are not stable, um, God will send you people that are stable. I think the point that's being missed there is that the whole point of the gospel is that it pulls people up out of where they are, and and it elevates them 
to another place. It brings stability to those that lack stability. It it puts families back together. Um, it saves souls, and it also saves lives. Um, both of you have planted churches. I've had some time in in helping to establish a church. Um, when when you've got nobody, there's no such thing as um, the people that nobody wants. Yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. As well said. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and 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 what you're describing, you can gather a bunch of people that are down and out, and people that have more means can look at that and say, "Here, let me jump on board and help with that." Mm-hmm. You know, we're helping. This is a vague idea of helping. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. have meetings, and people see the crowds, and they want to come be a part, and they, they can give money to that. Here, let me throw a thousand dollars at you. I'll make my charitable contribution to it. And people would call that ministry. I don't. I don't call that ministry. You can do that out of balance. I've seen that done out of balance. And I know one guy, he had a small church, 100, 150 people. It was a good church. It was, it could it could use evangelism. It could have used an injection of life, but it was good. It was a solid church. And this guy had this, if you reach out for everybody that nobody wants, then then these people that everybody wants will come. And he, so he loaded up a bus and he went out and got a bunch of homeless people, mm. homeless guys. He went to like a Salvation Army or a, and, and he, he gathered them all up. Many of them were drug addicts. They were, they were, they were in need. They do need help. And, and thank God for people that can help. But, but what he would do is he'd bring them all into that little church of a hundred people. So you have 50 people with severe drug problems coming into a group of genteel, um, hardworking blue collar people. And well, the, the people that had problems were stealing, uh, out of people's purses and Mm. they were trying to steal things out of the church. It it was, it was a, a large concentration out of balance it wasn't done in wisdom. And finally, the people said, we don't want this. Well, then the young guy was like, oh, you don't want evangelism. No, that's not true. Yeah. It is not true. You've misappropriated an idea. You've distorted an idea. Jesus never went out and just rounded up people that were devil-possessed and just slammed them into the synagogue. <laughs> yeah, deal yes. with it. Yeah, and, and then accused everybody of not wanting to have a burden for souls. Yeah. So the way to do that is you reach people. You reach them where they are. The Ethiopian eunuch is a good example. He said, you know, tell me, the, 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 the prophet that's speaking here, is he speaking of himself or some other man? Mm-hmm. And Philip said, come up into my chariot, or I'll come up into the chariot and I'll show you. And so he did. He came up into the chariot, and the Bible says, from that place he preached to him Jesus. Yeah. And so... A much more practical application to that is reach people and truly disciple them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a practical way that this could look, and I've seen this many times. This is the way I believe it works. Is, and I've done this. Say you reach a young guy. The young guy doesn't have a dad. He has a single mother in the home. He's fourteen, fifteen years of age. He's going to get in trouble. He's, he's not in trouble. He's trying, but he's tempted. The streets are pulling on him. 
Well, say you step in, you begin to teach Bible study. You're teaching mom the Bible study. You're developing a relationship with a young man. And you teach that young guy. You don't just dive into porn. You don't just live a promiscuous life. You start to teach them the word of God. You are honest. You are hardworking. Come to church. Get the Holy Ghost. The, the, the Spirit of God will change the nature of who you are. You teach them daily prayer. You, you teach them the consecration of, of reading the word of God every day, getting the word of God in your heart. That young man will change. Yeah, the Holy Ghost will change him. Well, as his as his spirit changes, his morality changes, the blessing of the Lord will come upon him. He'll get a good job somewhere. Mm-hmm. An employer will realize this young man's honest. <clears throat> maybe, maybe he graduates high school. I've seen it where uh, young men or young ladies were the first ones in their family to ever graduate from mm-hmm. high school. Yeah, and. Once that happens, well, then maybe it's college, and maybe they work part-time, and they, and they go to college part-time. Mm-hmm. Well, then as, the, as two, three, four years pass, they're not having an illegitimate pregnancy. They're not getting arrested. They're not getting addicted. They're not spending their money on bail and baby mama drama, but, it's, <laughs> right. but they are. And, and in the meantime, all of their cousins are. All their friends in the neighborhood are. Well, now that's the city set on a hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's. That's the um, the candle that is not being hid under the the bushel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's your light shining in a dark place. But that's what really is helping people become. That's right. And as you were talking, I was thinking about scriptures like the the solitude being placed into families. Mm-hmm. And I was I was thinking about the fact that really what's happening is the Holy Ghost in you, the Spirit of God in you, is being a father to the fatherless and you're stepping into a role where maybe that young man doesn't have someone that can help pull him up out of where he is. But I, th- I think that's what evangelism looks like. I think it looks like coming alongside of people and, and pulling them out of where they are. The word for Holy ghost is comforter. And the Greek word for that is paraclete. Mm-hmm. And that word literally means to come alongside and to help. Yeah. It's the helper. It's the comforter. And a pastor or a pastor's wife or elders in the church, men and women, strong families, they actually can act as surrogate mothers and fathers if that's missing. So when you look at it like that, the world's problems become the church's opportunities to help and to minister. Well, as that metaphoric young man I'm describing, as he grows, maybe he buys a house. I've seen it where they're the first homeowner in their family. Mm. They learn what principal and interest is. They learn what an interest rate is. They learn what credit is. They learn what paying off debt means. Well, this is all revelational, revelatory. Mm material for them. They're becoming, they're becoming a better citizen. They're, they're walking into the Judeo-Christian ethic. As that's happening, now they're not getting kicked out of a place every three or four months. Their biggest thing is not got to pay the rent, but they're paying a mortgage. Well, then they, you know, five, 10 years passes, they've paid that mortgage down. Well, maybe they leverage that house and they go buy a little rental house and they figure out that when you buy that rental house, 
when I say figure out, a pastor probably tells them. Yeah. And if your pastor's not telling you that, he should right. be telling you that. And we'll tell you here at Biblos, yeah. buy a rental house, create passive income, make money while you sleep. Well, that's Abrahamic blessing. No, if you're spending all your money on bail and you're spending all your money on weed and you're spending on your, all your money on seven kids that you got with seven different women, you right. can't do that. That's the curse of sin. Right. But the Abrahamic blessing is pulling people out of that darkness. Well, as that increases and you realize that comes from God, you'll praise him. As yeah. each success mounts, you'll praise him. You'll praise him for the health of your children. You'll thank God. And, and if your children aren't healthy, if for some reason God sees fit to um, allow there to be a trial, maybe a handicapped child or something like that, then you still praise him because you know who the, who, you, who the blesser is and who the creator is. I'm not saying this is all about finance. It's not all about just making money. Right. But I am saying that as you get dominion, it becomes whole right. or holy. I think Paul said it when he said that uh, Christ be formed in you. When we talk about becoming, it's not the word becoming with an exclamation point or becoming with a, a period, but it's dots. It's the idea that it's a process. And so many, we live in a world of immediacy that sometimes we, we interrupt that becoming process because we don't allow the forming to occur. Yeah. We don't allow the modeling and those are trust issues in humanity maybe there could be a multitude of, uh, of reasons but you know we we watch people and i've always said if you see a 50 year old or 50 year old that reacts emotionally there's developmental stuff that didn't occur that's stopped and so it's the process of growing and recognizing in the in the uh the face of God's mercy and what he's done for your life, that I still have to continue to push forward. I still have to continue. Because then what happens is when you say that, I got a, a text last night the, uh, from someone that said that they were just self-loathing is the word, that they were in a phase of that. And I thought, what a powerful word. It's not just one thing not to like yourself, because but that goes beyond just being honest with yourself. That's saying I recognize emotionally and where I was at in my life, that I didn't even like myself. And until a person can be so honest with themselves, you're always going to lie to yourself about, well, you, you know, you know how it is when we fast. I'll, I'll just do it tomorrow. Uh, you know, I'm hungry now. I'll do it well, we live in a society that tries to mask and give reasons for everything when the reality is in the, in the, in the mirror of God's word, all of us have growing to do. So part of that becoming element or that growing element and, and being open to the kingdom, the principles of dominion has to come with maturity. But if we never ever move beyond following our emotions or responding because we see here something we don't like and it creates this rawness in us that we feel the need to emote, then what ends up happening is you get trapped in that cycle. And I tell people it's like God pushes us. He wants us to grow. But in school, there was a thing called years ago that created what was called social promotion because of age. They promoted you. Back in my day, if you couldn't pass tests, and you couldn't pass the end of the, you had to do that year over. I don't know if they do that now, but I know that there was a time when my wife worked in school that they had to stop that because some people were, they just weren't growing. 
And instead of finding the reason for why they couldn't grow or they couldn't get certain mathematical skills or whatever, they just pushed them along. Well, that's never going to happen in the kingdom because if you want to be trusted with things, if you want to be trusted with financial dominion or spiritual dominion or familial dominion or, you know, the things that you just mentioned, God's got to trust you with those because he's not going to give us anything that will destroy us. And so this comes with influence. This comes with the blessings of God. And, and, you know, the reality is Paul was talking about that formation and even related to, to birthing pains. When a woman gives birth, it's so traumatic. And it's so, but that is the possibility, that, 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 that portal to the possibility. And many people struggle and never get beyond that because they don't like the, the pain of that moment. But if you ever want to experience it, the good things that God does, you're going to have to go through those moments where God has to squeeze out that process or those things in us through that process. Yeah, until Christ be formed in you. Formed in you. You know, he said in one place, I travail again. Yeah, yeah. So literally, I'm giving birth again. Again and again. <laughs> With the same person. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go through this same stuff over and over and over again yeah. with the person. You know, go through the pain of giving birth right. to a promise, to a dream, to a blessing, and don't ever go through it again. Grow from there. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think it's Hebrews 6, not laying again the foundation yeah. of repentance from dead works and baptisms. Once you've got it laid, go. Yeah, yeah. Go on from glory to glory. Go. You know, um, what we're talking about and how we got there was... Um, the model of evangelism that we're promoting is not just learning how to talk the talk and, and have the look and, and know how to um, move a crowd. A lot of people can do that. But there's, there's real getting your hands dirty work involved in coming alongside someone that has nothing to offer you except their own hunger for God and coming alongside them and, and, and lifting them up. So Nexus, Biblos, other resources we're trying to get out there, they're all about equipping people so that they can take the gospel and they can take information that we're putting out and they can help people become. Um, one question that was asked, and I think this is, this is for you, Brother Urshan, is um, someone wanted to know, once we've taught the lineup online Bible study to someone, which as, as many would know, is a resource that we've put out on the Biblos Network. Um, what do you teach next and where do you go to from there? Oftentimes when I would teach that Bible study, people would obey the gospel. It's designed for the new birth. So frequently by the time they got to Noah or by Moses, when they realize you have to go through the water to be saved, then they're baptized and they get the Holy Ghost many, many times. So it's designed to get a person into the kingdom to be born. You can't become if you don't exist. You can't inherit if you're not an heir. And so it's designed to get someone born again. Once that's done, then becomes the living. Being born is the easy part. Living a true, productive, blessed life is a whole nother matter. There's a lot of people that can produce a birth. There's not everybody that can produce a successful life, and wow. that's discipleship. So um, I used two different resources. One of them was um, the Abundant Life course, and it's a discipleship program. I also use Crawford Coons um, 
Christian Living course. It was very, very good, very informative. Many churches have used it. It is a practical course that walks a person through the scripture and teaches them how to live, how to how to order their life. It's very, very good. Um, from that, we would then take them to a third stage of holiness and, and perfecting holiness, what the Bible called it, in the fear of the Lord. So a true model of holiness, which is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts and restrictions, but it is how to grow in wholeness and become entire in the kingdom. You know, that word whole in terms of... Um in in terms of holiness um that's that's not too far off from what holiness is it's um your brother preached a message one time called healing to the whole person um holiness looks like something that is applied to the whole individual so when we're talking about trying to help somebody uh get a job and and how that applying biblical principles can help them gain stability and grow in their finances. That's not just some self-help addition to our theology. That's at the very center of our theology, that this word of God doesn't just get around somebody, but it gets in somebody. And it affects every area of their life, the the whole individual. Um, Their finances get straight, their families get straight, and we don't just uh, get them baptized and get them speaking in tongues and, okay, well, well, we'll see you next Sunday. Well, I'll tell you it's worse than that is get them to dress a certain way, get them to stop cutting their hair or start cutting their hair, and, and call that holiness. Yeah. That is oh. not holiness. No. I know a lot of people that learn to dress the part of an apostolic that have horrible spirits. Mm. They're condescending. They're mean. They're they're depressed. They're ah, it's terrible. So it's not just about dressing apart. It's about becoming entire. Yeah. True holiness includes the joy of the Lord. Mm. It includes the love of God. And for all those you li- of, of you that are listening, and we got to wrap up because we got to move on to some other stuff here. Um, but I encourage you to read First Corinthians thirteen. Make it your Make it your prayer every day. Um, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Be nice. There's a thought. There's a thought. How about you be nice? There's an original right there. (laughs) Yeah. How many times have you been walking through a a mall somewhere and seen somebody apostolic and they won't even look at you? They won't even stare at you. Yeah. Mean. Yeah. Or or sad or something. Got saved and got miserable. (laughs) Goodness gracious. So be kind. Charity uh, behaveth itself not unseemly, seeketh not her own. Seeketh not her own. Is not puffed up. Um, it's not but, self-serving. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't always seek to receive and, and be the benefactor of itself. Seeks to give. Yeah. yeah. You know, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. That's yeah. not just something yeah. people say yeah. to yeah. pick up a good offering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So... You know what? We got to run. We got to cut this session. Real quick, if they've got questions, 919-899-4142. 919-899-4142. Text us your questions. You know, one more thing I'll mention. Um, We have East Coast ready. Mm. We have our East Coast lineup. So 
Let me give you some names. We have a great lineup for East Coast, East Coast Conference. It is going to be October 26th to 28th of 2021. Tuesday night, Pastor Rick Mayo from Spokane, Washington. Wednesday morning, Bishop Nathaniel Wilson and Bishop Barry Sutton from Birmingham, Alabama. And then Wednesday night, Lord willing, and COVID allows Pastor Daniel McKillop from Plaster Rock, New Brunswick, Canada. Youth service that Wednesday night is Seth Shoemake. Brother Seth Shoemake, he's a great evangelist out of San Jose, California. Thursday morning is Brother Nathan Holmes from Little Rock, Arkansas. Pastor Tim Lackey from Fresno, California. And Thursday night is Bishop Larry Booker, the one, the only, the Prince of Preachers. He will be here that Thursday night. And Brother Ari Prado will be preaching the youth service. Then there is Hispanic East Coast. What's going on there? Spanish East Coast is the 29th and the 30th. That Friday evening is Brother uh, Antonio Lagunas from Memphis, a fantastic preacher. Then Saturday morning is uh, split sessions. There'll be youth, uh, young men, and youth, young ladies. Uh, for the young men, it's Brother um, Angel. Ariel is from Burlington, and his wife is going to be speaking. Gabby Ariel is from Burlington is going to be speaking to the young ladies. And then Brother Julio May is going to be speaking to the adults and marrieds. Then there'll be a lunch provided on the property, uh, free of charge. And then we will come back together, and Brother Ari Prado will be preaching that afternoon session. So it's going to be a great time. And that'll wrap up East Coast Conference Week, English and Spanish. But it's going to be a great week. It's going it's to be exciting. Great. We want you guys to come join us. Tell Absolutely. your friends. Tell your family. Tell your church, and we'll have a big time. That's right. And we'll be announcing Nexus soon, too. Absolutely. 2022. Absolutamente. Yeah, absolutamente. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. We'll awesome. see you guys later. Thank you.